0: Abolition. 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 Today.
1: Old King Abolition. Cotton. Abolition. Old King Cotton, old man Cotton, Keeps us slavin' till we's dead and rotten, Bosses us round in his honorary way, Cotton needs pickin', de hell he say, Starves us with bumper crops, starves us with poe, Chains the lean wolf at our doe, Tired of corn pone pork and greens, fatback and sorghum and dried-up beans. Buy one rusty mule to get ahead, we stays in debt until we's dead. If flood don't get us, it's the damn bow weevil crap grass in the drought or something else evil. If we gets the bales when the hard luck's gone, bill at the commissary goes right on. Some planters goes broke and some gets well. But they sits on their bottoms feeling swell and us in the crap grass catching hell. Cotton, cotton, all we know. Plant cotton, owe it, beg it to grow. What good it do to us? God only knows. That
2: rotten cotton music Not that bottle popping music It's that breaking and freeze Avery was not an option music Not that Dr. Seuss's Opportunist Kindergarten music uh-huh. It's that 90s Clue mix Cool mix of Malcolm Park and Lewis It's new rhyme Be that rhyme and noodles Minimum wage living minimum. 21 to drink But jail don't come With an age limit uh-huh. Couldn't afford college You could've got an A in it Instead you want a jail bed Wishing you got away with it Talk your way out of situations Words you got away with it uh-huh. Not when they found the pounds of scale you got to away with it, It's just the thing, you got stopped for an unpaid ticket. Two years up top and not one pay visit. Not one People won't complain. This is a snapshot of the streets. Cops leave brothers with their backshot in the streets. Red blood on black top and white sheets. More than deceased. Oh. Hennessy on concrete as we throw back shots in the streets. It's that rotten cotton music, out the rotten apple. It's that rotten cotton field. Rotten cotton. It's that rotten cotton music, out the rotten apple. It's that rotten cotton field, rotten cotton field. It's that rotten, 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 rotten. Rotten, rotten, rotten cotton music, out the rotten apple. It's that rotten cotton field, rotten cotton field. It's that rotten cotton music, out the rotten apple. It's that rotten cotton field, rotten cotton field. It's that rotten cotton music, no Democrat or Republican. More than busting windows out, no Jasmine Sullivan. It's that machete with sharp double edges, ready to start trouble. Up with a wish, up with breakfast, like
3: working a double. Studying the slave masters, ways and rituals. Can't lick your goals
2: even to those who say they liberals. Plotting to overthrow, gotta stay low, can't speak subliminals. We ain't get no heads up when it came to steal the minerals. It's men, women, children suffer. would they kill us, made us tougher. So we up after supper,
3: coming after the
2: infrastructure That kept us under, kept the culture Held hostage, so like hostages held by a bounty hunter We kept the hunger, jail number, green jumper Or number 23 jumper, no more piss and cotton We riding bumper to bumper Is that a- rotten cotton music out the rotten apple? It's that rotten cotton field? Rotten cotton field It's that rotten cotton music out the rotten apple? It's that rotten cotton field? Rotten cotton field, it's that rotten cotton music, out the rotten apple. It's that rotten cotton field. Rotten cotton field, it's that rotten cotton music, out the rotten
3: apple. It's that rotten cotton field. Rotten cotton field, it's that rotten cotton music.
2: I can smell the smoke aroma. Black Wall Street burned down in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Broken homes to Oklahoma. The Black Panthers, that same smoke aroma gave blacks cancer. Black Wall Street gave Black's hope Felt like our last chance to Be more than a singer, an actor, or a black dancer Black Panther began re-inspiring us yes. Then they shot a black man on camera To kill the fire in us Firing us from your networks and record labels Once admiring us till so we spoke truth instead of fables So instead of cable We hit the streets and the net with it yep. Equity and sweat with it And yep. still get a check with it Let's yep. get it We begging for Nathan Got our own label popping No more picking copy we leaving it to rotten it's that rotten cotton music out the rotten
3: apple it's that rotten cotton field rotten cotton field it's that rotten cotton music out the rotten apple it's that rotten cotton field rotten cotton field it's that rotten cotton music out the rotten apple it's that
0: rotten cotton field rotten cotton field it's that rotten cotton music out the rotten apple it's that rotten cotton field rotten cotton field Abolition. Abolition. day.
4: Abolition. day. Abolition. 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 You just heard Old King Cotton, Sterling Brown, followed by Messiah Ram Kisun, Rotten Cotton. Peace and welcome to Abolition Today, a weekly syndicated online radio program with a specific focus on modern slavery as it is practiced through the 13th Amendment of the United States Constitution and by for-profit prisons worldwide. We air live every Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, and 4 Pacific. Live streams and archived podcasts are available at abolitiontoday.org. Abolition Today is also available on all major podcast platforms and is simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. My name is Yusuf Hassan. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Max Parthas. Peace, Max. What's going on, brother?
5: Peace, brother Yusuf. I'm here at the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center on this first day of Black August.
4: Yes, sir. Black August. So, last week we showed how the U.S. is brazenly throwing accusations of crimes against humanity at other nations. Slavery, forced labor, systemic oppression, and genocide. Like we did with the legal definition of slavery a few weeks ago, we examined the international definition of genocide and how it applied to descendants of the African diaspora today. We put the United States of genocide on full display. So, make sure you check out that podcast from last week if you missed it. On this first day of Black August 2021, we look at how the cotton industry made kings in America. We'll keep you updated on the latest efforts in slavery abolitionist movement, and we'll discuss recent news as it relates to the struggle. Also, the Shut em Down 2021 has begun. This message comes from our sponsors at Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, and I am we Ubuntu Millions for Prisoners Human Rights Coalition. Follow the link, IamWeUbuntu.com, and we'll discuss more of that during tonight's episode. And of course, we've got music, poetry that will touch your soul and move your body, including bringing the voices of the ancestors back to life and our Bridging the Gap segment. So before we get down with all of that, Max, tell us about your week.
5: Oh, man. Uh, There's quite a bit going on, actually. Uh, Let me start out with uh, saying peace to everybody who's tuned in today Could have been anywhere but you're here I really appreciate that We got some things to say Uh, Last week we we took on a big job And we killed it Uh, We did what we do Same thing We did what we gave the legal definition of slavery We did that with genocide And and within a two hour period We really broke it down Uh, Tomorrow night I'm having I don't know if it's an interview or a discussion With Sister Danny Cook Formerly of uh, Tennessee. Uh, She has been doing a lot of confrontating racist uh, rhetoric and actions and uh, systems, and it's caused her to get a lot of death threats. And so she ended up having to leave Tennessee. So she wants to bring me in on her podcast tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk. So I think it's going to be like 8 p.m. If she's in Tennessee, that would be 7 p.m. Tennessee time, 8 p.m. our time. I'm not sure where she moved to, uh, I'll put it on my page, so make sure you follow me and Max Parkis and uh, you can tune in with myself and Danny Cook tomorrow. Uh, also, um, I wanted to break down a little bit about Black August as well as the national shutdown demonstrations. Uh, the national shutdown demonstrations are organized by Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, uh, one of our sponsors uh, who helped us to, who named our show and actually got us started here. Uh, on abolition today. Uh, There's an article from Truthout that explains it. It says in 2020, during just the first two months of the pandemic, incarcerated people collectively participated in at least 106 COVID-19 related rebellions in the United States. This year, organizers with jailhouse lawyers, Speak JLS, a national collective of imprisoned people fighting for human rights are calling on non-incarcerated people to share the baton by holding national shut them down demonstrations, on August 21st and September 9th so you know it's always been between those two dates that they've organized their events like we did the millions for prisoners human rights March that was August 19th uh, and Black August represents quite a few things so if you're able to organize in your city or state uh, make sure that you uh, go ahead and put something together to help these brothers and sisters behind enemy walls get justice and freedom so Black August is, uh, let me read another one. This is from San Francisco Bayview, a little bit of that. It says that um, it was Dakota Qatari's death that first inspired the concept of Black August among new Africans, prisoned in California. Initially, it commemorated the lives and deaths of George L. Jackson, who was murdered by California prison guards on August 21st, 1971. His brother Jonathan Jackson and James D. McClain and William Christmas, who died during an armed action to free Comrade George and others, staged at the Marin County Courthouse on August 7, 1970. And W.L. Nolan, Alvin Sig Miller, and Cleveland Miller, who were assassinated by prison guards during a racial melee that was instigated by the pigs at Soledad State Prison on January 13, 1970. Since its early beginnings, Black August has grown to embrace many significant events and people in our history of struggles in America, especially those that have occurred during the month of August. You know, like, uh, it's just, man, so much has happened. August 1st was the day that uh, Britain ended slavery, a brother that got killed back in the 60s, and they had to open call Emmett Till uh, um, in in August. Uh, Just so many things says, but for these struggles of peoples and their sacrifice, we would not have survived until today. Black August cannot be looked upon lightly. Black August is now observed each year by our people across the diaspora. Indeed, it is. I know I've been observing it now for at least the past decade and participated every year in something. We'll be doing so this year as well. Uh, you see.
4: that's That's a, a lot of information you put out there, Max. Uh, A lot of stuff going on. We'll have all kinds of announcements for the entire month. You know, uh, this week was a down week for me. i was just a little under the weather, so I was on the mend for most of the week. You know, and, you know, I'm at about 80% right now, and I'm ready, you know, to kick off uh, Black August and definitely get into this king cotton that we have going on you well, and i have talked about
5: this for a little while yeah it's a, another one that i have produced over a year ago and just never had the opportunity to really sit it in because it's a little long it's uh 13 minutes uh, and it talks about cotton's relationship to the united states and, and the history of that It's a very powerful powerful clip so tonight we're going to uh, not only play it, but we're building a whole program around that. I'm looking forward to it as well. But that opening track from my brother Messiah Ram Kasum, as well as the poem, Old King Cotton, Thurling Brown, uh, that was a very powerful way to begin this program, let people know where we're coming from. And I hope that by the end of the program, also, that we'll understand that it wasn't really cotton that made America rich. The cotton was a vehicle, you know, it was, it, mm-hmm. it was something else. And you'll see and hear about that throughout the
4: Absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm always thankful that we're in the position to disseminate the information that we give out because, you know, from day one, we've set out to uh, clarify things. You know, there are a lot of misnomers and misinformation being put out or misdefinitions of things and so one of them is being the role that cotton played in establishing the united states and like you just said it was a vehicle but it wasn't the institution itself you know cotton you know because if that was the case you know it wouldn't still be continuing but as we'll show throughout the show that cotton especially cotton plantations, are still very much alive within the prison system. So we know that there's some other system that has it in place and has it generating the type of money that it's generating, Max.
5: Let me uh, give people a little bit of history. The beginnings of America and the beginnings of the cotton trade and slavery all kind of coincide together. Uh, Let me explain how, right? The first declaration Mm -hmm. of intent to enslave human beings in the Americas as an industry happened in 1492. And this is a quote from Christopher Columbus's journal describing the Arawak tribal people living in the Bahamas. He said, they brought us parrots and balls of cotton and spears and many other things, which they exchanged for glass beads and hawks bells. They willingly traded everything they own. They do not bear arms and do not know them, so I showed them a sword. They took it by the edge and cut themselves out of ignorance. With 50 men, we could subjugate them all and make them do whatever we want. Christopher Columbus, 1492 in a diamond. Cotton, slavery, in America. As a matter of fact, we not our money. Did you know that? Yeah. Right. He had cotton on our money. In North Carolina, the $5 bill um, and the $1, no, the $5 bill and the $4 bill both had images of slaves which they valued. It was their image to the world saying, look, we are rich, biatch, and this is how we're rich. uh, Because we own black people and they are out here getting this cotton together for us. In the one image, there's a woman. With maybe a two-year-old on her back, and she's holding her basket and her apron to pick cotton, and they seem oh so happy. Both of them are smiling, and all you can see is teeth and bright eyes.
4: And it's, speaking of money, uh, U.S. currency, still to this day, 75% of uh, U.S. currency is made of cotton. So cotton is still you know, well with, within the U.S. economy, that the actual paper that's made is 75% cotton, 25% linen. So cotton still holds its place. It
5: definitely does. And there are prisons in America, like in Texas, Louisiana, Louisiana, where black men are picking cotton for free again. <laughs> picking cotton for free again. As a matter of fact, uh, they got a story from com back in 2017 where uh they said that a half a million dollars of prison grown cotton uh had to be right. destroyed right uh, right pop up in my head. they said a half a yeah, million it was, dollars it was, of prison go ahead.
4: i was going to say because of uh what was that hurricane harvey yes i believe yeah five, half a million dollars Worth of cotton was destroyed. The crops were destroyed because mm-hmm. of Hurricane Harvey.
5: On a Texan half prison. a million
4: dollars on a Texan prison.
5: <laughs> yeah, on a Texas prison, three hundred acres of unharvested corn and miscellaneous and other vegetables included in in that as well. But absolutely, you know, that's and the type of money they're making on cotton over in Texas. <laughs> absolutely.
4: So there's an article from LitHub.com. L i t h u b and it's entitled The Straight Line from Slavery to Private Prisons. And they say, like prison systems, like prison systems throughout the South, Texas grew directly out of slavery. After the Civil War, the state's economy was in disarray, and cotton and sugar planters suddenly found themselves without hands they could force to work. Fortunately for them, the 13th Amendment, which abolished slavery, left a loophole. It said that neither slavery nor involuntary servitude shall exist within the United States except as punishment for As long as black men were convicted of crimes, Texas could lease all of its prisoners to private cotton and sugar plantations and companies running lumber camps and coal mines and building railroads. It did this for five decades after the abolition of slavery, but the state eventually became jealous of the revenue private companies and planters were earning from its prisons. So between 1899 and 1918, uh, the state, talking about Texas, bought 10 plantations of its own and began running them as prisons.
5: Began running the plantations as prisons
4: mm-hmm.
5: in Texas. Y'all don't see the connection? <laughs> like 2021 right now, a half a million dollars in cotton that just got lost because of Hurricane Carvey. Harvey, what the hell are they doing with a half million dollars of cotton in prison? Right, that is a lot of cotton. You and, know, because I
4: have to, I have to look and see how much uh, cotton goes for by the pound.
5: Right, uh, in Louisiana, they're doing it at four cents an hour out there picking cotton in the hot sun in a prison that was formerly a plantation. It is so damn big that it is a metropolis of its own, the size of the Isle of Manhattan. (laughs) Right. It's amazing that how can something that big and in your face not be seen? Like you don't, nobody knows what's going on apparently.
4: So, according
5: to reports, any according to
4: reports as of 2018. Cotton went from anywhere from $87 to $95 per pound.
5: Well, cane Cotton, and we still got prisons that are growing it with slaves, people who are under the 13th Amendment are property of the state now. Picking cotton for either free or four cents an hour, it's the same thing, four cents an hour and three cents an hour. That's not right. any kind of a salary that you should be talking about. Um, and they take whatever little bit they give them anyway right back out of it or overcharge them on things. Like in Angola, they were saying that um, the prisoners keep only half their money they make. The other half is placed in an account for prisoners to use to set themselves up after their release. However <laughs> – Due to some of the harshest sentencing practices in the country, 97% of Angola prisoners will never be released. And so most will never get the other half. Think about that. They're giving them $0.04 cents an hour and robbing yes. them of that. Promising them, 3% of y'all are going to get half of this $0.04 cents an hour when you get out after 50 years. <laughs> but the other half, we're just going to promise it you, to you and keep it. And they say that one in five, basically, of the prisoners in Louisiana are picking cotton. And we're talking about the same state that just voted to keep slavery legal, the same state that just showed through the Supreme Court that they were practicing Jim Crow laws of 10 and 2, uh, Jim Crow laws, which were unconstitutional, and the same damn state that refuses to make uh, it Freeing people, or at least having them get a new trial, the people, 1,500 people who were stuck behind that, refused to give it to them by making the unconstitutionality retroactive. So apparently the Supreme Court decided, you know, this was unconstitutional today. It began today. (laughs) The day we said it's unconstitutional, that's when it began. (laughs) That's crazy, man.
4: And when we talk about Louisiana, you know, I was reading – just just some of the harsh sentences that they give there. For instance, uh, writing bad checks can earn you up to 10 years in jail. A two-time car burglar can get 24 years without parole. A trio of drug convictions will get someone a life sentence, all of which time prisoners can be forced to work in conditions that mirror those supposedly outlawed 150 years ago. This is according to an article uh, Dolor, do at uh, dot com. So, you know, we say we have writing bad checks. You know, a person usually in most states gets probation or they'll get some minimum sentence, you know, three years, five years. Not that I'm downplaying that. I mean, one day in jail is far too much for most offenses because, you know, you lose your civility, you lose your humanity. But I'm in no way saying that, you know, three to five years is something small. But it's just showing the difference. You can get 10 years for that. Or stealing a car, you know, New Jersey Drive. Max, you're from New Jersey. And, you know, (laughs) New Jersey put, uh, you know, car theft on the map, you know, in the movies. Mm Or something simply like that, just having a joy ride will get you 24 years without parole in Louisiana. And it will send you off to... A plantation to pick cotton Or tobacco or sugar All of these things With no end in sight
5: Yeah It's, you know, there's so much to talk about With this, but I think that we should go ahead And get into the star of the show for tonight Uh, The brother That is going to uh, You're going to hear now is Attorney Jeffrey Robinson He's involved in quite a few criminal justice reform ever. Uh, and he discusses these issues on a regular basis. I can't say I agree with everything that he's talking about, not necessarily right. in this clip, but in my mm-hmm. research of him. But he knows what he's talking about here, for sure. And we're going to share what you did today. So this is the Max Mix, King Cotton Mix, with attorney Jeffrey Roberts. You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parthas and Yusuf Hassan, abolitiontoday.org. We'll be right back after this. Abolition. Abolition.
3: What
0: these people have forgotten
6: is the story of King Cotton. And my point is that from Plymouth Rock, white supremacy was the basis of how this country was formed. It doesn't mean that we're not a great country. It doesn't mean that we currently are all bigots. It means this is the truth about how our country was formed, and we can either deal with it realistically and as the truth, or we can keep trying to deny it. And in terms of keep trying to deny the nature of our true history, I feel like just saying, how's that working out for us? now going to show you, in the words of the people who built the country, how important white supremacy was. What these people have forgotten is the story of King Cotton. Important as the soul is to the body, and without it, no house can gain a proper stability. And you're like, Jeff, that's 1784, a long time ago. What these people have forgotten... Bear with me. Forty of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence owned other human beings. The founding fathers of America had absolutely, positively, no problem with white supremacy. They believed in it. It was the truth. It was the reality of their time. And they weren't embarrassed to say it. What these people have forgotten is the story. One of the main reasons that Native Americans were driven off their ancestral land. The plantation owners had to have room. If you're going to grow cotton and tobacco, you need a lot of land. What these people have forgotten is the story of King Cotton. 13% of the entire American population was enslaved by 1860. Can I see a show of hands? How many people understood that slavery was that pervasive? And maybe some, and that's good. But you know what? I guarantee if you knew that, you didn't learn it in high school, and you didn't learn it in college. You learned that somewhere else. This is not taught to us. To understand the economic dependency on slavery. And so when I talk about the monuments and the Civil War and the things that are behind this, one of the other things I would just encourage you to do, like any other investigation that you would do, follow the money to understand what the motivation is. Just follow the money. The Indian Removal Act of 1830 took 100,000 adults and sent them on our version of the long march. And you see how many of them died on that march. What this did to the Choctaw Indians in the southeast was horrendous. And here's why they did it. Because they needed room for this. What these people have forgotten is the story of People may think, well, I have an understanding that slavery was somehow directly tied to cotton production, and cotton production was kind of important. I want to ask you to think about that in some different And before we do that, let's talk about Andrew Jackson, who was the architect of the Indian Removal Act. And our president, once again, we talk about rewriting history. You can't diss Andrew Jackson. He's on the $20 bill. And if he's on the $20 bill, and he's a horrible, horrible person, what does that mean? Does that mean we have to take him off the $20 bill? Does that mean we have to start thinking about why we put him there in the first place? I don't want to deal with that. He's a great president. Well, these are the facts about Andrew Jackson that I'd ask you to consider. What these people have forgotten is the story of King Kong. But here's what our President of the United States has said about Andrew Jackson. And I'm going to read this. Had Andrew Jackson been a little bit later, you wouldn't have had the Civil War. He was a very tough person, but he had a big heart. And he was really angry that he saw what was happening with regard to the Civil War. He said, there's no reason for this the problem with it is, the first problem, that Andrew Jackson was dead 16 years before the Civil War started, and I know it is, it's like, are you kidding me? But it's like as funny as a heart attack, because there are people who believe this. And this is part, you're saying like, oh, it's ridiculous, nobody believes that. We are in 2017, and we're having a debate about what the Civil War meant. If you think that who controls the past is not important, you are wrong. Think about the the arguments that we're having in this country today, and it's because the past has been concealed. These people have forgotten. Is the story of King This is one of the most amazing books you will ever see, written in 1839, Slavery As It Is. And the only thing these people did was to go to newspapers, cut out articles about slavery, and put them in a book. That's why they called it Slavery As It Is. And so I want to show you the real Andrew Jackson, because he had a slave that ran away, and he wasn't having that. So he put an ad in the newspaper, "Stop the runaway, and he offered a $50 reward. That's not what I want to talk to you about. It's the end of this newspaper advertisement put in by Andrew Jackson near Nashville, State of Tennessee. And this is what it says. If you find that slave, $10 extra for every hundred lashes any person will give him to the amount of 300. What these people have forgotten is the story of King When people say folks didn't fight the Civil War about slavery, they were about defending slavery. This is years before the Civil War. Is slavery as it is? Everyone knew that this is what slavery was about. There weren't any questions about it. What these people have forgotten is the story of King Cotton. So, Texas school officials are saying we want our children to learn that slavery was a side issue to the Civil War because it's divisive. We have to look forward. And, and President Trump is saying we need to love each other now and whatever. But we need to love each other and we have to look forward, not backward. And I get that. Looking forward is important, but if you are looking forward from a place that is false, then where you're looking forward to is the road to hell. We can't go forward without acknowledging where we have been. What these people have forgotten is the story of King Cotton. And that's something that I will never forget. I didn't have to learn this in the past six years. I had to learn the true meaning but I didn't have to learn the term because King Cotton was part of my upbringing in Memphis, Tennessee. King Cotton was a food brand. King Cotton was on everything. There was actually a hotel King Cotton in Memphis. Army and Navy Club, completely air-conditioned. Bed and halls, sprinkler protected. Three-channel radio and Muzak, and overlooking the Mississippi River. This was one of the luxury hotels in Memphis. But what does the phrase King Cotton mean? What it meant to me was bacon because King Cotton bacon, King Cotton sausage, King Cotton like rolls. This was this was like the food of my childhood. Everybody in Memphis bought King Cotton brands. And when I finally found out what the name actually stood for, I felt like I wanted to throw up. Because King Cotton the theory that was used by Southerners before the Civil War to say, we can do this. We can break away from the North and it's economically feasible. And here's why. Everybody depends on our cotton. We can shut down the mills in the North in a heartbeat. Britain and France are going to have to make a decision. Will they support us militarily? Because we can cut down their mills. So we just won't send them our cotton. It couldn't have been more practically and beautifully stated than it was by Senator Henry Hammond of South Carolina. Without firing a gun, without drawing a sword, should they make war on us, we could bring the whole world to our feet. What would happen if no cotton was furnished for three years? England would topple, headlong, and carry the whole civilized world with her, save the South. No, you dare not make war on cotton. No power on earth dares to make war upon it because cotton is king. Follow the money. This is how important cotton was. What these people have forgotten is the story of King Cotton. What kind of money are we talking about? 1840, cotton made 59% of all U.S. exports. This is 16, 15 years before the Civil War. 1.5 million pounds with about 700,000 slaves. And you can see how that changed. 2.25 billion pounds and almost 4 million slaves. This is what made America wealthy. This was the formation of wealth. And folks, I just want to make sure as a side note to say, I hope you don't think that the money made from slavery just dissolved and went up into the air. It went into companies and businesses and not even tracing and blaming those corporations. Those corporations hired people and paid their salaries and their benefits and gave them the ability to raise families and to pass wealth on through the generations. This money is what made America financially stable. What these people have forgotten is the story of King The market value of slaves in 1860 was greater than the market value of every railroad, factory, and bank combined. Follow the money, because the money we're talking about was huge, huge.
4: King Cotton Mix. That was Attorney Jeffrey Robinson out of uh, Memphis, Tennessee, who was the executive director of the Who We Are Project. And until April 2021, he was also the deputy legal director and the director of the ACLU Trone Center for Justice and Equality. Welcome back to Abolition Today with Max Partis and Yusuf Hassan. Max, man, oh man, oh man, it was just so much, so much that uh, Jeffrey broke down for us in that that, uh, talk right there.
5: The talk itself is an hour and 41 minutes. And I just clipped out 13 minutes worth that I thought would be very, very impactful. Um, And it was, indeed it was. But the whole thing is is definitely a must see. And you can get that at Abolition Today on our Facebook page. It's called a must watch entirely The Truth About the Confederacy in the United States And it's from 20, uh, 2017 So he's really addressing Like critical race theory back in 2017 Before everybody got their panties In the bunch when we started telling the truth About <laughs> America
4: <laughs> Right Right Wow Yeah I need to go listen and watch that entire thing You know when I first saw that the track Was 12 minutes long I was like uh, I don't know What are the listeners going to think of such a long track? But as I'm listening to it, the 12 minutes was up. It seemed like it had only been three minutes. I was like, man, it's over already. So I definitely need to go hear the rest of it because that was powerful.
5: I took quite a bit of notes. It's like my third time hearing it, third or fourth time. So many things stood out. I don't even know if I can go over it all. You know, the story about Andrew Jackson alone. Uh, was worth the <laughs> price of admission. This bastard yes. put a $50 reward out for his escaped enslaved person, a, a person he enslaved personally, the president, and then right. he put at the end uh, in the ad that he would give anybody willing to do it an extra $10 per 100 lashes for up to 300 lashes. Imagine some racist white supremacist KKK slave on bastard. Fugitive Slave Hunter, catching you and giving you 300 lashes. I don't know if you've seen that film, uh, The Underground Railroad, but in episode one, there's a brother that that happened to, and that's how you would look. Like, you, you might as well not even be alive if you live through it anymore, because it's ripped you to shreds. Right. So that was, the, the you know, Andrew Jackson and the, the lies they was telling about him and stuff like that, how, you know, they're trying to conceal the past. And I, I got to get that book, Slavery as it is. Or if you're one of our listeners and you want to make a donation to the Paul Company right. Abolitionist Center, pick up the book, Slavery as it is, one for yourself, maybe, and one for us, and send us the copy so that we'll have it here uh, at the center. And um, see what else he was talking about in there. There's, like so much, like I said at one point he said that cotton was so powerful that no gun and no sword uh, could stand against it that it could bring it, the whole world to its knees and what he meant by that is that the industrial revolution was going on the back of cotton it, that cotton was going in the north here in the United States New York Places like that, they had these industrial mills where immigrants were coming and start a new life, right? And they're working these right. mills, fabric mills. And guess where the cotton was coming from? From the south. <laughs> and it was building up this in t- huge industrial revolution, not only in America, but also in Europe. And if they stopped giving you that cotton, when 60% of the imports were cotton, it would bring the world to its knees. But that's the question that I think needs to be answered. What was the real value? Was it the cotton people that were enslaved? Because he said at one point that the market value of the enslaved Africans in America was worth more than the banks, the railroads, and the factories combined. So it seems to me that the cotton was just the vehicle, but it was the slavery that made it all possible, especially after 17... 17- Eighty nine, and the cotton gin was created. That was it right there. Because before that, it would take you like all day to do a tenth of what the cotton gin could do. And then after that, it created the demand for slaves. They went from 700,000 in 1789 enslaved Africans and natives all the way up to 4 million in 1865. You said?
4: <laughs> Well, you you touched on it, uh, uh, on almost everything that I was gonna say. So it at least shows that we, we definitely wanted to bring home the, the same thing. Yes, cotton was the king, but slavery made it possible. That's what yes. it boils down to. Because without the institution of slavery, you know, had there not been the loopholes, we've presented in the articles before if, if there was no loophole there then many of many or all of those plantations would have shut down because they would have had no labor they would have had no laborers so that just goes to show that slavery rescued these industries when we start talking about cotton sugar tobacco railroads So, these companies wouldn't have been able to uh, have these huge bankrolls from all the money they saved from not having to pay their laborers. So, yes, cotton's king. Slavery was the institution that allowed it to be king.
5: Right. Because it could have been anything. It could have been tobacco. It could have been marijuana. But without that slavery, it would have been worthless, is how the Industrial Revolution really got its boom through slavery. <clears throat> and you heard earlier in the other clips where they were talking about how these prisons that they were building were built on plantations, cotton plantations. Huge tracts of land turned into prisons. And the reasoning for that is because after Reconstruction with the pig laws and black hoods, that was how they turned uh, a loss into a win. You know, they may have lost the war But the states were allowed to continue using slavery through their prison systems. And this way that they were doing it with the convict lease system, for them, was far more streamlined, but for us it was far more cruel. That's why the book's called Worse Than Slavery, because in uh, convict leasing – if you died working in these fields, you were just seen as a criminal who was worked to death and you got what you deserved, and they would simply go out and get another person to replace you, or however many they needed. They would work you to death, literally, and they had no concern for your human rights at all. Uh, so whatever went down in slavery was even worse under the convict leasing because now they felt justified because you had been convicted of a crime. Um, there's an article from the Innocence Project that talks about, like, parchment farm out in Mississippi and others. And in it, they say that in Mississippi, Texas, and other states, legislators passed pig laws, which labeled the stealing of a farm animal or any property valued at more than $10 grand larceny. It's kind of reflective of what you were just saying earlier on, right? And it was punishable by five years in prison. Five years. Such laws were enforced almost exclusively against black people. Reinforcing the man-made association between blackness and criminality, a single instance of punishment of whites under these acts has never occurred, declared a Tennessee Black Convention, and is not expected. While the 13th Amendment abolished slavery and involuntary servitude it carved out a loophole that allowed for the exploitation of incarcerated people who were then and now disproportionately black, the amendment abolished slavery and involuntary servitude, except as a punishment for crime, crime where the party shall have been duly convicted. And prisoners, men, women, and hundreds of children as young as six or seven were then leased to private farmers and business owners <clears throat> who previously depended on cheap labor supplies by slaves. By 1880, at least one convict in four was an adolescent or a child. One in was a adolescent or a child, a percentage that did not diminish over time, according to Oshinsky. States profited substantially from the Black Codes prisoner leasing system. The number of state prisoners in Mississippi rose from 272 in 1874, the year the Pig Law was passed, to 1072 by 1877. Mm-hmm. You see how this thing has grown and what it was meant to do? And this is why we have the abolition amendment today. You You know, uh,
4: as as we're going through this, I'm thinking about the hypocrisy. Because we know, just as the U.S. uh, put out all kinds of uh, reports about things that were going on in China and other countries as it relates to genocide, here we have another instance of U.S. hypocrisy, because we know that there's an article that came out by uh, Fortune, Fortune.com. It says, brands abandon Chinese cotton amid alleged alleged forced labor. Early at last year, amid mounting reports of forced labor and human rights abuses in China's Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, X-U-A-R for abbreviation, U.S. outdoor apparel maker Patagonia resolved to stop sourcing cotton from China. From April 2020 on, the brand's global suppliers had to vet and eliminate any links to the world's largest cotton producer. The decision wasn't easy. China accounts for roughly 20% of global cotton supply, and Xinjiang produces some of the highest grade cotton in the world. Some of the other uh, retailers who were pulling away from these uh, Chinese uh, cotton manufacturers are L.L. Bean, Victoria's Secret. Hey, how 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 uh, hypocritical is that? We know that uh, it wasn't until maybe two years ago that uh, Victoria's Secret stopped using prison labor to build their products. You know, so they're talking about they're pulling out uh, from these Chinese cotton manufacturers, as well as uh, women's wear maker Reformation and many other U.S. companies. But what they're not saying is that many of these companies still do business with U.S. prisons to have their apparel and their products made within the prisons. So this is why we say it's very hypocritical because they'll they'll speak out against other countries, but they won't speak out against the prisons for the same atrocities that are happening in other countries that are happening right here, right within the United States.
5: Yeah, it's incredibly hypocritical. It sounds a lot like those founding fuckery fathers. (laughs) Don't it? (laughs) You know? It sounds just like them. Molesting somebody's child, not only somebody's child, your niece. You're molesting your adolescent niece 14 years old at the same time you're declaring all men created (laughs) equal. And you're calling her your property. Your niece is your property. You own her and you're Actually, the father of capitalism in the United States, because you're the first one to talk about how women were more valuable than men because they provided more capital by being able to give birth. And that was Thomas Jefferson. So it sounds just a lot like these fake fathers that they keep claiming as the greatest men on earth, who at the same time, pedophiles and slavers and criminals of the highest order, who, if we're alive now— Many people want to see them lined up and shot. I'm just saying, you know, which is why we here in 2021 have to have all of these states remove the exception clause for slavery, because apparently it was a thing where 24 states had exception clauses to slavery. In addition to that, Puerto Rico's got it, and Washington, D.C. And they didn't get it all at the same time, so it kind of proves our point that they put that exception clause in there to be able to exploit prison labor and now warehousing bodies for profit. So as of now, at this date, we've got four states where slavery's been abolished, yay for us, the Abolish Slavery National Network. Uh, We've got eight that are scheduled to have um, theirs removed by 2022. Two are already on the ballot, which is uh, Oregon and Tennessee. And yesterday we brought Maine into the mix. So Maine's about to follow suit and get on board, too. Uh, we'll have 38 states involved in this abolition movement by the time we get to the November elections. That's the goal. And in addition to that, we got SJ Resolution 21, um, which is the resolution to ends slavery on a federal level. And HTA Resolution 53 from the House, which is the joint resolution, to do the same thing. Like, this has never happened before. This is so big and monumental and epic, it's surprising that it only took a few people across the country to make this happen. You said?
4: Yeah, and we've reached critical mass now.
5: Critical mass. It started right with just now. a few.
4: Mm-hmm. You know, and it's funny, as you were talking about, you know, the states having uh, – Exception clauses. Think of all the states that joined the union after the uh, 13th Amendment was uh, ratified. So that means that they came in at a time when slavery allegedly had been abolished, but they walked in the door and added uh, the clause along with exceptions.
5: Yeah, some did it before the 13th Amendment, like Alabama and Ohio had this, in Vermont, they all had this before the 13th Amendment. Remember, there were uh, seven iterations prior to the 8th, uh, so seven right. times they tried to put the same type of thing through and successfully had done so. And then the states started adding them afterwards, the ones that didn't already have it, uh, they started adding theirs afterwards, once they saw what the South was doing and how it was benefiting right. the North because of what the South.
4: Absolutely. And we know some of the largest uh, prison manufacturing companies, you know, in northern, I mean, if we just talk about Corecraft in New York State, where during the pandemic, we saw how much uh, hand sanitizer and gloves and other products were being made through Corecraft. Which is inside New York State, which is supposedly a "quote unquote" free state, <laughs> a northern state, but yet they're heavily benefiting from the exception clause of the Thirteenth Amendment.
5: There's a uh, this. I had to watch a lot of old black and white videos in my research for this uh, topic here today, and one of them that I watched was called King Cotton. And it talks about specifically the Jewish community in the north and how they prospered because of the cotton industry working within the facilities, you know, with the factories and the processing plants and things like that. And it shows how, Mm -hmm. as immigrants, they came and made their mark and established themselves and got generational wealth. But look where it came from, because we've established already it really wasn't the cotton. It could have been any damn thing. It was the slavery that was making things happen. So the cotton was the grease for the machine, but the slavery was providing uh, the entire network. Uh, so do they owe anything for that generational wealth that they gained through slavery? Like Everybody was gaining except those who were enslaved and the free black population. It, it's terrible. And even today they talk about how there's nobody alive. Who own slaves and they don't own nothing they don't own nothing for what somebody else did or the great grandfathers and stuff like that, right. but they don't right. realize they're benefiting from that stuff right now, as I keep saying, if you own prison stock or jail bonds, you are a slaver <laughs> if you're a policeman, you're a slave catcher uh, no exceptions <laughs> you're a slave catcher, you only need to catch one. we've determined that too right that you only need to catch one slave right. to be a you only slave need catcher. to catch one. So, you know, the average person
4: with a four, I'm sorry, Max.
5: Go ahead, that's it. Just keep saying.
4: I was gonna say the average person with the 401k plan, you know, you work a job and you're getting a 401k or 403b, you own prison stock against your knowledge because many people don't even look into where uh, uh, TD America or uh, what what is it, uh, Fidelity. Charles Schwab, the, you know these companies that manage companies' portfolios—they don't really look and see what they're investing in. So you may think, okay, they're investing in, say, for instance, BAE Systems or something—you know—that's manufacturing anything in technology, but they're not looking to see. Well, guess what? BAE Systems also uses prison labor. So you're involved in it without even knowing. So that's why I've always encouraged people, look, you have to go inside your portfolio and see who these companies are, what their products are, what are they putting out there. You know, you have many companies where, you know, it was always the one thing you take Mattel, Mattel, the toy manufacturer. And, you know, for years they manufactured the m 16 You know, and people didn't know that, and it wasn't until people started learning of it that they separated from their their arms manufacturing from their toy company. So a company may be well known for one particular product, but it's the other things that the companies do that that you may not know. And that's why I say many people are investing in slavery against their knowledge. So you have to go inside and look to see where your money's going because – Otherwise, you are a willing participant in slavery.
5: You know, it's funny you mentioned Victoria's Secret earlier uh, because, you know, a lot of these major uh, fashion designers now are under scrutiny because they're using, you know, labor uh, from uh, third world countries or cotton that's coming from China and things like that. And Victoria's Secret was one of the ones that decided they're not going to use Cotton is coming from China because it has these questionable origins. But Victoria's Secret was employing women right here in South Carolina inside the prisons to sew their underwear at 28 cents an hour. And, and that was perfectly fine for them, huh? <laughs> you know, that was perfectly fine. Uh, listen, I, I want to get into our music break. think that's a good idea? Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get into the music break. Um, I want to give people a little description of it beforehand. Um, first, we've been dealing with some issues for some years here, and it's expressed through this mix. Uh, what I'm talking about is these cotton camps for children, where they've been taking children out to cotton fields, black children in particular, having to pick cotton and sing slavery songs. Um, and there's this starts out. <laughs> with a brother who's a grown man now, in, in his 20s, and he's telling his story of when he was in the fifth grade, and they sent him to one of these cotton camps. And then it's going to be followed by Brother Tupac, uh, featuring uh, Eminem called Black Cotton. And you'll also hear from a mother recently whose third grader had to go through that same damn thing. Uh So, you know, you know how we do it. Abolition Today. We'd be killing it with the music and everything's a song and a poem. <laughs> all right. So <laughs> You're listening to Abolition Today with Max Parsons and in use for some. Uh We'll be right back after this.
0: Abolition.
5: Abolition. A racist field trip I have ever been on in
7: my fucking life. They took us to a fucking cotton processing place. <laughs> And there was a big ass cotton field out in the middle of fucking Raymond, Alabama, in the south of Montgomery County. We went there, and me and 28 other little nigglets in Miss Harper's third grade classroom. They took our asses out there in the middle of the fucking August heat and said, "Hey, y'all!" They gave us bags
3: and shit, like little cute little plastic bags
7: <laughs> with a cute with a cotton puff person with a smile on his face. And they're like, "Hey, y'all go out, y'all go out there, have fun, pick as much cotton as you want." And so I, my stupid ass went.
3: You know? I went.
7: My mama signed off on it and didn't think about it. And I went to the fucking field trip. Out there in the field, just having a good old time. We were singing songs and shit in the middle of the motherfucking field. Picking goddamn cotton in the middle of the fucking heat. And then, you know, I'm thinking, because it's a field trip, they told us you can pick as much as you want. Hey, you get to keep the fucking cotton. You can keep it. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to keep it. And we go going to get back on the bus. They're like, all right, kids, turn your bags in. And they take our asses inside. and took all the damn cotton that we had. And they had told us to get back on the fucking bus. So me being a little rebel, I took a handful of cotton, stuffed it in my pocket, and went home. Then my mama came when she was doing laundry the next night. She was like, what the fuck? Is this cotton in your back pocket? I was like, yeah. Where the hell did you get unprocessed raw cotton from? Well, Yesterday on that field trip, they took us to a, a cotton processing plant, and we got to pick cotton all day long. <laughs> My mama came to the school, and I swear to God, that shit went down. She locked this woman in a room like... How dare you jive-ass motherfucker, take my kids and all these other ashy little negroes to a fucking cotton field in the middle of the summer. You fucking soulless bitch. She fucking checked me out of school. I didn't go to school for three days buying that shit. She said, I don't want to have to look at that bitch. She was pissed at everybody. Yeah, that was the most racist shit I've ever gone through in my life. I didn't even understand what was wrong until the next
3: year. I didn't even understand.
7: It. I just thought we were just going to go have some fun in the
3: beach.
7: So that shit. That was fucking shit. I have the seen. the shit. i <laughs>
2: gospel that is, listen, rock black cotton in Gaza, speak, black cotton, Stay stress, transmission, weapons, count my blessings, classes, accessions, the worst question is the best.
8: Cotton. South Carolina fifth graders pulled to sing while picking cotton in a field living right now in the middle of black history month
4: i'm african-american and my ancestors pick cotton why would i want my son to pick cotton and think it's fun
0: abolition after day
4: welcome back to abolition today with you uh max Parthers and yusuf hassan that was the cotton picker sings songs uh the music was uh by the funky destination the last cotton field song And that was followed up by Tupac featuring Eminem, Black Cotton. Wow, Max. (laughs) You know, just hearing that, you know, I I think of just the weird things I went through in school, and I'm sure you have some similar stories, you know. But that's got to be the wildest one I've ever heard. (laughs) You know, taking children, I'm laughing, but it's definitely not funny. You know, but I'm just thinking of the excitement of children because they don't know any better. So you just going out to a field and you telling them, "Yeah, pick as much cotton as you want." You know, I'm hearing the guy tell the story, and you know, and of course they all probably were competing with each other and they had to see who could give
5: pick the, the, cotton the most cotton. The people.
4: Yeah, and then when they go it. to get on the bus, it's like, no, you can't take that with you. And I'm glad, you know, he had the wherewithal to stash some in his pocket, which that would have definitely been me. You know, first of all, I would have been, you know, I would have given some pushback and I would have been in all kinds of trouble coming back to begin with, just the mere fact of Cotton, because I was taught about that at a young age. But, you know, uh, yeah, I definitely would have brought some back, you know, to say, look, they made us pick Cotton, man, and I just can't imagine that. We're talking, you know, third grade, so we're talking eight-year-olds,
5: and during the, the summer the happy slave rhetoric, you know? Oh, we're out right. right here singing and picking cotton and enjoying ourselves. and pick as much cotton as we want. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. You're going to have a wonderful experience and go home remembering how picking cotton was great. You know? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> like, right. it's, the, it, it's the happy slave uh, psychosis that they keep trying to put on us. Like he was saying about Andrew Jackson, you know what I mean? Like, we were happy. Uh, it, we were fine with slavery Uh, everything was great (laughs) and they were giving us a hand and bringing us into civilization and making us civilized because you know we were savages remember even in constitution says the the indian savages and we were the savages too so this is indoctrinating children and just as we
4: heard uh oh what's the gentleman's name uh I can't recall his name offhand, but he just said a few weeks ago of how slavery was like the great thing for us. You know what I'm talking about, the neurosurgeon, um, yeah. who's the head of, of head me. of housing right now. I can't recall his name offhand.
5: Yeah, yeah the brain surgeon. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm the same way right now. I can't remember his damn name, but you know what oh. I mean? That's good, because... We should. He don't, he don't need to have his name name uh, name remembered because the things that he tends to say makes Kanye West look tame. Like saying how the family structure was better during slavery. Like, hey, right. what the hell is wrong with you? you remember, yeah, you Ben Carson. Sell, ben <laughs> Carson. They was selling our children. They was putting our children in the prisons. They was selling our wives and raping our little girls. And you talking right. about how the family structure was more. Uh, was stronger during slavery. This damn fool, you know, I, I just can't, I can't take them. I, I can't take these damn fools. Listen, if you want to join this conversation, feel free to call us at 515 605 605 9814 We've got time for a couple calls. Uh, if you do call in, remember to press the number one on your keypad. So we know you have a question or comment because people sometimes call in just to listen. So, yeah, I had to say that to get that ran away because it was another ran on its way, man. Hey, ran (laughs) on,
4: brother. Ran on, man.
5: (laughs) (laughs) You know, Tupac was talking about the absurdity of
4: that. Yeah.
5: He said that is a a symbolism, a symbol for unrewarded struggle. Uh, And, you know, the example of that would be, as we were talking about here in the South, the... Demand for people to be enslaved even after the transatlantic slave trade had ended in Britain because remember, this is the anniversary of it this month of the trans right. of the breeding people to get more slaves. Sometimes they would do the breeding themselves and then enslave their own children, their own nieces and sons and daughters and nephews. They would do that, the sick some bitches. Um, so you know it, it, it was. For them, they were making all these rewards. The same thing for the immigrants. Like I mentioned, the Jewish community who came in and worked within the textile plants and made their fortunes like that. And others that were doing the same thing. But that none of that would have existed had it not for, been for enslaved black people. <laughs> like right. that was the whole engine driving it all right there. And what did they get for it? 48 acres and a mule? Nope. Did they get nope. an apology? Nope. Did they get freedom? At the very least, did they get freedom? Nope. They got conditional freedom, temporary freedom, periodic freedom, and not really freedom at all. Because there is no uh, steps to freedom. You either have it or you don't. So what did they get? Nothing. Unrewarded struggle. Black cotton. As soon as we got it, they took it or burned it or destroyed it or blew it up. Right.
4: Right, it's it's two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back. You know, and Red that's line usually the case. Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, and it continues the day through, not just the prison systems, but I mean, just the whole economic structure, the educational system. You know, they they re- they restrict what information that can comes in. You know, the schools get books that are 10 and 15 and 20 years old, and it's full of lies and information within the books. So it's hard breaking that cipher because of the narratives that are out there. I mean, we're still, here it is, 150, almost 152 years later, that we're still trying to bring clarity that slavery hasn't ended. Yeah. So and then we look at all of the other things, the other things that we say that we haven't even gotten to yet, because many don't even realize that it all ties into going back to uh, the topic of slavery. I mean, if you just even talk about redlining, or you talk, you talk about uh, the discrimination in loans. I mean, just, you name the
5: this topic,
4: yeah, it's, it's all going to tie back to the same root cause. Everything branches off from there. And just like with the branches of a tree, sometimes when you see the branches, you can't even tell that they belong to the same tree. And that's the same thing that happens with slavery. There are things that happen to this day that people don't see that the root cause is slavery until it's shown to them. You say, well, look, follow this, follow this stem right here, follow that stem, and you see it attached to that branch. And guess what? It goes right back to this trunk right here. So it just has to be shown to
5: them. You know, so I sometimes share my own personal history in the program, and I've mentioned Patterson, New Jersey, before. And I, in hindsight, have been able to realize what was happening then, but I was so sure at the time. I was a young man, but I saw these things occur with my own eyes as they took the jobs out of our community and then we lost our homes and the homes were taken over and sold on the low to immigrants, uh, Spanish mm-hmm. communities. I watched the black communities disappear. I watched our people be displaced. My, fa- my own family members needed to be displaced. And then I saw them usher them into what they called the Alabama Projects, which are basically starting cans uh, for human beings to live in, and some of the most terrible places in, in the nation. It was so bad that the Alabama Projects, at the time that my family had been forced to live into these concentration camps, uh, were the they had the highest AIDS infection rate in America, and that's what we were living in. Uh, the drugs, hmm. the crack, the crime, it was all rampant. And at the same time, the for-profit prison industry was invading that city with the jail that they had just built in the, at, at that period in the early 90s. And so while the people were being destroyed and turned into a uh, criminal minority, they were farming them and taking them out just like they would do black back with the black codes and the pig laws and putting them in these prisons. And then they wonder why Patterson is one of those places where people are murdered every day. And they wonder why it's like that. Look what you create. You create these things. It wasn't cotton that was your uh, prime uh, value for the country. It it wasn't cotton that was the product. It was human lives that you were destroying all the way up to present day in order to make your money on it. These states and these cities and counties would not be able to exist without their prisons, without their jails, and their fines and their fees that they use for extortion and the school of prison pipeline uh, to send select communities continuously in and out of these prisons. Like, it's, it's a it generates revenue, and it's used as an economic development program. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's a good lead-in for the next one, too. What do you think?
4: Absolutely. You know, I was just going to say as a caveat to that, and it's also part of the history of Patterson. When you take – so Patterson was a very industrious region.
5: Industrial. I mean, they held
4: yeah. kinds of silk factories. That's why it's referred to as Silk City. Silk was like – Yeah, silk and dye were like the biggest industries there, and they also had mental institutions out in Patterson. And what happened, I believe it was in the late 70s or sometime in the 80s when they closed many of those factories and they closed the mental institutions and the people would just basically put out onto the streets to fend for themselves. And then you end up having a generation being born where there was no real mental health in a community and no jobs. And so what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, no care, no jobs, the finances, any money that did come into the city, it was taken by, you know, many corrupt uh, politicians like uh, Torres, and I forgot the person before Marty
6: Barnes. him.
4: Marty Barnes. They were, all of these guys were out there taking the money that was supposed to be providing jobs and providing the mental health and all of the other needs of the city. And so now you can see why Patterson is the way it is. You can see why... Baltimore is the way it is. You can see why Chicago is the way it is. It is the, Detroit. as Hillary Clinton would say it, the unintended consequences. But we know they were intended because when they make moves, they make moves 20, 30, 40, 50 years ahead of time. So already, they already knew what was going to happen. And so now Patterson is one of the main feeders into the New Jersey prison system. So they knew what they were doing.
5: This is why I have issues with free trade as we have it right now because there are nations out there whose, their dollar is not anywhere equal to our dollar. And so Mm -hmm. they are paying people like in Nigeria 70 cents an hour or 30 cents an hour. And so Mm -hmm. our companies here in the United States will go to nations like that in order to get this cheap slave labor. It's always after the slave labor, right? And when they leave, the vacuum they leave behind of those jobs that people fought so hard to get in this country and in their communities are just taken out suddenly with nothing to replace it at all. And what do you think is going to happen to them? You know, uh, I don't know how many people out there have watched generations lose everything in these types of instances, but I've seen it with my own eyes and felt it with my mm-hmm. own heart. You know, it, it's not cotton, man. What we export is niggas. And that's mm. the next mix, the nigger export company. And you'll understand what I mean by what you hear. You listen to Abolition Today. We'll be right back after this.
0: Abolition. Abolition. Abolition.
8: Abolition. Already while the war was still being fought, anti-slavery society sprang up. But the issue was not simple. In 1789, a machine called the cotton gin had been invented. The
1: one crop was cotton cotton was such an important part of the plantation system that it came to be called king cotton the enormous amount of hand labor required to grow and pick the cotton was supplied by great numbers of slaves this then was the economic background of the plantation cheap slave labor producing one main crop on vast tracts of land owned by the planter
2: let me tell you something. There is no nobility in poverty.
9: I have been a rich man and I have been a poor man and
2: I choose rich every fucking time. And at least of the rich man, when I have to fix my problems, I show up in the back of a limo wearing a $2,000 suit and a $40,000 gold fucking watch.
10: Our way of life is very precious to me. I will do whatever is required to maintain it.
9: I feel the way most of you running your properties, is shaking the
1: graciousness out of our civilization. Mr. McKay wears out his darkies in four to five years. Mine live out their entire lifetime.
8: Then why do you have more runaways than all of us put
10: together? we better all understand this uh, darkie we own, gentlemen. He's the only self-reproducing machine in the world, in the world, in the world. Got to Gotta know how to run. I first met him in Africa as a young man when I ran a ship in the illegal slave running trade. Before I settled down here in the very legal slave driving cotton trade. Boys, attend to the gentlemen. I packed blacks into my ship until you couldn't walk the decks. Every morning we threw the dead and the uh, rebellious, overboard. rebellious overboard. overboard. They were not easy, those voyages. But we could turn a profit if we got 40% of them here alive. I just like the sound. My library is always at your disposal. Volumes on all the aspects of human slavery. But I can spell it for you in this one magnificent sculpture. Or in one story which tells all one needs to know about the human being, in slavery or out. In the African trade, I met an old chief. I bought many of his people from him. Discussing handling slaves, he said, Captain, in the soul of a free man, a a little slavery and a lot weigh the same. So they do in the soul of a slave. So when you chain him, just as well chain him first brilliant man. He was as black as coal. He'd find your views, Mr. Bennett, romantic, dangerous. Dangerous. I know you all wonder why I keep these things in my house. They make you uncomfortable. Me too. That's why I keep them here. Ivory, stone, wood. Don't gawk, boy. Get that tray filled, boy. Boy. Did you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Don't talk back to me. Replenish the tray. I just ordered a darky out of this room. Do you know anything about him? From his facial characteristics, his people probably came from the Sangai tribe. The area around Timbuktu. 300 years ago they had a university there where the most delicate operations were performed for cataracts of the eye. People came from all over the world to have their sight restored by these extraordinary black surgeons. I believe origins can crop up even after 10 generations unless they're kept weeded out. What do we create? Surgeons? Sculptors? Or niggas? niggas? I'm a nigga, he's
0: a nigga, she's
1: a nigga, we some niggas,
0: wouldn't you like to be a nigga too? Abolition, abolition, abolition,
4: abolition, abolition. Abolition. The Nigga Export Company. That's a Max mix. It included uh, from the documentary King Cotton in 1949, a clip from The Wolf of Wall Street, and a great clip from the movie entitled Slaves. It was in 1969 with Dionne Warwick and Ozzy Davis. And, and Max,
5: you know, oh, it, I ended with as I'm listening,
4: <laughs> sorry?
5: And it ended with Easy
4: E. And it ended with Easy E, right. And I'm listening, and I'm like, wow, so he says, okay, you know, in the mornings we would throw, throw the dead and the rebellious overboard, and if we can uh, get 40% of them there, we can turn a profit. You know, just showing, as we were already saying, how they pre plan things, you know, because the only way you know that is if you're doing the number crunching and in the, in the planning. So they said, okay, we'll pack it so much so that you can't even walk through the ship. And if we can get forty percent of them there, we're going to turn a profit.
5: Yeah, that just shows that they look at it as collateral damage, you know, acceptable losses. Um, I remember at one point he said they went, I went from the illegal slave trade to the legal slave <laughs> cotton trade, and, and right. that was exactly what was going on. These people who should have been in a freaking prison or shot. For Their crimes against humanity Were allowed to mm-hmm. come here And establish new fortunes Doing the exact same thing But instead of bringing them over from Africa They bred them Like literally bred human pe- beings Like you would breed wolves To finally get yourself a chihuahua
4: Right They said what are we exporting uh, Surgeons you know. And he said No we're exporting niggas
5: and that's sixty nine, nineteen sixty nine. So they've always known what the real value was. The value was not in the product that was greasing the currency uh veins throughout the, you know, world. The value was in slavery. And it was a sick, twisted type of thing they had going on. Because, you know, they already felt like they justified it by declaring that we were less than human, uh that we were, you know, close to apes and they needed us. Uh, but also, they got this joy out of breaking a great people or enslaving a great people. He was expressing that, saying, "You know, this guy comes from Timbuktu, and these—they were eye right. surgeons and great. You know, and I broke them. Look at them. And you know, even if one pops up, I can break them too. You know, it reminds me of the Secretary of State uh, who passed away recently. What was his name? Rumsfeld. Uh, that, Rumsfeld. Donald Rumsfeld. And how he owned. Mount Misery. Mount Mm -hmm. Misery is where they sent Frederick Douglass to be broken by the slave breaker, who had been breaking slaves there for generations. And then that house and that plantation and that land was bought by the Secretary of Cricket Defense, Donald Rumsfeld, knowing very well exactly what the reputation and history of that house was. That's that twisted evil joy you get out of knowing you're breaking somebody who's great. Uh, It's only something that a wicked person would understand or be able to even call a form of joy. But that's what we're dealing with.
4: And I'm imagining every time he had dinner at his home, you know, new guest over, he's bragging to them, yeah, this was the house where Frederick Douglass was sent. They, you know, he would even know the history because they take pride in certain things like that. They say, yeah, this is what this is. This is Mount Misery.
5: Mount Misery, yeah, where they sent him to be broken, like others like him had been broken before. And instead he became one of the greatest men this country has ever seen. We didn't deserve him, for sure. We don't even study him. like. And he's one of the greatest that we've ever seen. Like well, I study him, you study him, and others who listen to this program have heard quite a bit of Frederick Douglass. But on average, he should be taught like standard in school. Uh, The speech that he gave in 1888 that denounced slavery, I mean, denounced the emancipation as a stupendous fraud, should be mandatory reading at at every grade level from fifth all the way up to university. Like, you should know this speech happened. I'm just saying, you know what I mean? Like, he... This is what he said and he broke it down In such detail as only He could and we're running around here Talking about the emancipation in Juneteenth and the 13th amendment Talking about slavery ending As if he never said that (laughs) It's a sick sick world Um, And there's a lot of uh, Misinformation That's put out and there's Pride and ignorance People had pride in ignorance and not mm-hmm. wanting to know the truth, to accept what other people have said as the gospel without ever even checking it in, uh, anything behind it. It's just accepting it. it. drives me nuts, especially when I see my own people following uh, like walking in lockstep with white supremacists. Like these, these people are saying and doing this. This is the source of the information, and you're down with them. It drives me nuts, man. Um, I heard an interview recently, Charles Blow did on the Black News Channel, right and mm-hmm. he had this General Ty Sudell and he wrote a book, uh, I think it's called Ely White and Me or something like that. they'll They'll talk about it on the clip. Uh, but he really broke down uh, also as well what the bottom line was for America to be America, white supremacy needs to exist, and the opposite of white supremacy is black slavery. So it's the yin and yang that keeps this country going, and it's never been a day where there hasn't been slavery legally happening in this country. All right, so uh, feel free to throw in any comments or news. If not, we'll go ahead and do the BNC when you're ready.
4: Oh, absolutely. Go ahead, because uh, I just wanted to – so the book he wrote was called Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southern Reckoning. With the myth of the lost cause
5: mm-hmm. It's the lies We keep telling each other uh, And here we're trying our best To be right about at least one thing On Abolition Today AbolitionToday.org We'll be right back Abolition. 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 Today. Abolition. Abolition. Abolition Abolition. Earlier
11: this week I mentioned how America is in the midst Of another lost cause moment Where Republicans are attempting to play Revisionist history in matters of race and oppression to push their version of American narratives. In his book, Robert E. Lee and Me, a Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause, Ty Siddeley uncovers the truth about the Confederacy and its primary goal during the Civil War, which was to subjugate and maintain the enslavement of black people. Joining us to discuss the book in America's track record of painting false narratives to manipulate history is retired Brigadier General and Professor and author, Ty Siddeley. Professor Dudley how are you? I'm great, Charles. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, sir. Uh, so I, I made a comparison to, you know, uh, what is happening now around critical race theory uh, and, um, and uh, defund the police and all forms of kind of race issues and the 2024 presumed candidates all using the same language around America's Not a Racist Country to say that is kind of a lost cause moment in the vein of what was happening after the Civil War, although clearly a, a, a smaller version of it. How do you see what's happening now? Is that a
8: fair comparison? Well, I, Charles, I don't think the lost cause ever really went away. I mean, this myth that... That, 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 the, that the Civil War, about the Civil War, stayed through the 20th century, and I think only now are, are we really beginning to understand how bad it was. And so the fact that, that many people are going back to those same lies, the big lie, the, the biggest lie in American history, it, it, it doesn't surprise me because it's it's always been there. And it's such, a, it's such a, a huge part of our historical past. I mean, they were doing this in textbooks in the early part of the 20th century where where um, United Daughters of the Confederacy were burning books, enforcing uh, textbooks to ensure that it said that the Civil War wasn't about slavery, that slaves were happy in their condition, just these monstrous lives. The textbooks I had in Virginia growing up as a kid also did the same thing to show segregation was great. Textbooks are always doing this, and the reason is, history is dangerous. It goes after our myths and our identities, and when somebody challenges those myths and our identities, the reaction, as we've seen, is ferocious. It's ferocious.
12: Yeah, this is from Michael Fanone, Metropolitan Police Officer. You're on trial right now. Lying. And, uh, you want an Emmy, an Oscar? What are you trying to go for here? You're so full of sh you little little man. I can slap you up the side of your head with a backhand and knock you out, you little you're a punk you're a lion how about all that scummy black scum for two years, destroying our cities and burning them and stealing all that stores and everything how about that, and assaulting cops and killing people, how about that you, that was I wish they would have killed all you scumbags cause you, you people are scum they stole the election from Trump, and you know that, you scumbag. And you Too bad you didn't beat the shit out of you You're a piece of you little You scumbag.
13: Evil does it have a heaven name That maybe has a pitchfork maybe has a tail But evil is alive and well It might walk upright from out of the inferno Maybe come a horseback through deep snow It's ragged and fat It's hungry as hell And evil is alive and well Evil is alive, evil is well On your feet to the tower and yell Evil is alive and Prouded beach it may be asleep In a roadside motel But evil is alive And well now Evil is alive Evil is well Evil is alive Evil is well now On your feet In a tower in a yell but Evil is alive As well Done it every day. Up on every hill as well I've got my radio on Drowning the bells All I ever gave you was a broken heart. Well, it's hard to admit, but it's easy to tell that evil is alive and well. Now evil is alive, evil is well. Evil is alive, evil is well. Now on your feet to the tower
4: We just heard a clip from uh Charles Blow's show on the Black News Channel with the guest Brigadier General James Ty Siderley, uh S E I D U L E for anyone who wanna look him up. And that was followed by a call that was made to Mike Fanone. Mike Fanon was the uh D C police officer who had a heart attack during the uh the insurrection that occurred on January sixth. And that was followed by Evil is Alive and Well by Jacob Dylan, the son of Bob Dylan. So a lot of stuff going on in that track right there, Max. Great job on that. Thanks, man. Like, uh,
5: yeah, tonight's music and speeches really been impactful and powerful. Uh, you know, it took a year to put this show together, really, right? Right. <laughs> it took a year right. to talk about King Cotton and how influential it was in what we now know as America. Uh, but we also uncovered the veil of that. We, we're not no longer pointing at inanimate objects or systems and saying, you know, it's that thing's fault. Uh, you know, it's not that the war ain't on drugs. The war was on people. And it's slavery that made all of this possible, not the cotton because it could have been sugar, It could have been tobacco, it could have been marijuana, it could have been any damn thing. But it was the slavery that made it possible. And this mistelling of history is a very much watered down version of all of that. We've heard the horror stories throughout the night, both past and present, from children to uh, uh, seniors who have had to deal with the traumas of this type of setup we have here in America.
4: In here in America. 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 I, I can't say it as well as you say it. I, I've been working on it. America. Yeah, America. I think I got it now. And the, so that Trump supporter, you know, we, we, we play this one little track jokingly every time, but it sums up exactly what this woman was If we'd saying. known you all were going to be this much trouble, we would have picked our own
5: fucking cotton. Right. It and part of it's cotton, so many right.
4: people with that attitude right there. Yeah, they have that same attitude right there. They even told this guy this, you know, this Trump supporter, they all supposed to be about back to blue and all of this stuff. And he said, look, you know, I wish I'd have been down there because I would have killed all of you He was calling them all kinds of scumbags, you know, after his testimony.
3: Yeah, it's
5: good that you mentioned that, uh, you know, if I, we knew you would have been this much probably picked own fucking cotton. That was another one of those calls that people tend to make to black people (laughs) or anyone that fights for us and and tells us exactly that evil is alive and well, like Jacob Dylan said. Uh, It could be anywhere. Remember right before the January 6th uh, insurrection, treasonous insurrection, they Mm -hmm. blew up an entire city block over in Nashville, like blew up a whole city block. (laughs) <laughs> you know, they're like and and they went down to another state with uh, armed insurrectionist and tried to kidnap the governor. All of that was leading up to it. <laughs> and I, like we're right. retelling history now, so it only started on January sixth. Nothing happened before that.
4: <laughs> right. Even I've forgotten about uh, Tennessee. That yes, that was just you know what was it about two weeks prior to that? It wasn't yeah, long. Blue-
5: the whole city block blew it up.
4: <laughs> yeah, it and wasn't then, long where we had the black councilwoman who had, you know, thankfully that there, there were other blacks who came and at gunpoint they had to walk her to her office, so she can go into her office. So it's a lot that went on during that. Then you know the focus is on January sixth because that's the one that got the international attention. But so many things led up to that, and it's just things that are just basically coming on the heels of what's been going on, you know, for 400-plus years.
5: Yeah, hey, um, we're about at the point where we got to start giving our shout-outs to our sponsors and <clears throat>
4: oh, the time stuff go? like Ooh. that.
5: Yeah, It went pretty fast, didn't it? <laughs> I know, <right? laughs> um, So before we do that, I want to – Put an ask out there. If you like what we're Mm -hmm. doing here, um, if you're listening and you like what we're doing here and you want to help support us, you can always make a donation. We're a 501c3 tax deductible, uh, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center. Our cash app is AbolitionCTR with a capital A and a capital C, AbolitionCTR. And our PayPal is AbolitionistCenter at gmail.com, Abolitionist center at gmail.com feel free to, to keep us going because you know a lot of this comes out of our pockets but you know got to do what we got to do use your help right also, also remember to join in with the shut them down 2021 uh i had a little part to play in the naming of that <laughs> which is kind of cool uh so you know play your role in that uh put together an event and shut them down 2021 during August. Um, and I want to say thank you to uh, you for being here with me, uh, and to the people that listen today and are going to listen in the future. Uh, we really appreciate you. We couldn't do this without you. And most that, definitely to our international audience, we got a lot of listeners in Germany and England, as well as over in Africa as well. So shout out to all our fan there, and most importantly, shout out to those who are on the inside and feel like what we're saying is making an impact in the fight you're having. Uh, Thank you very much for the support. Yes.
4: Absolutely, and thank you to our sponsors, you know, Jailhouse Lawyers Speak, the IMW Ubuntu Prison Advocacy Network, SEMA Urge, Quakers Uplifting Racial Justice, the Paul Cuffey Abolitionist Center, Prismatic Dreams, and the Black Talk Radio Network. Also, remember to subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash today. Uh, subscribe to that page for all the news, information, and music you hear on this program. We're available on all major podcast platforms and we're simul- simulcast on the Black Talk Radio Network. Also remember to join the movement at abolishslavery.us to become part of the solution. And also remember to use, on any time you're making posts on social media, use the hashtag, endtheexception. Also go to endtheexception.com, fill out the information. So the information can be sent directly to your state legislatures to showing that you're in support of the 28th Amendment, uh, which is going to fully abolish slavery in the United States. Uh, definitely getting to our favorite part of the program, the Bridging the Gap segment. And this time we have, we're bringing back an oldie but goodie. Ozzie Davis is going to read Frederick Douglass's Part 17, The Three Boxes, followed by Lauren Hill, Black Rage. We'll be back on Sunday, August 8th, inshallah, God willing, with another masterclass on slavery abolition. So until next week, think about abolition today. Peace, peace to you, Max. Love you, brother.
0: Peace, sir. Abolition, today.
9: It was my good fortune to be president at Abraham Lincoln's inauguration in March 1865, after his re-election as president, and to hear on that occasion his remarkable inaugural address. A series of important events followed soon after the second inauguration of Mr. Lincoln, conspicuous amongst which was the fall of Richmond. The collapse of the rebellion was now not long delayed, though it did not perish without adding to its long list of atrocities, one which sent a thrill of horror throughout the civilized world in the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, a man so amiable, so kind, so humane and honest One is at a loss to know how he could have had an enemy on earth. I was in Rochester when the news of Mr. Lincoln's death was received. Our citizens, not knowing what else to do in the agony of the hour, betook themselves to City Hall. Though all hearts ached for utterance, few felt like speaking. But I was called upon and spoke out of the fullness of my heart and happily I gave expression to so much of the soul of the people present that my voice was several times utterly silenced by the sympathetic tumult of the great audience. I have resided long in Rochester and made many speeches there which more or less touched the hearts of my hearers, but never till this day was I brought into such close accord with them. When the war for the Union was substantially ended and peace dawned upon the land, When the gigantic system of American slavery was finally abolished and forever prohibited by the organic law of the land, a strange feeling came over me. My great and exceeding joy over these stupendous achievements, especially over the abolition of slavery, which had been the deepest desire and the great labor of my life, was slightly tinged with a feeling of sadness. The anti-slavery platform had performed its work and my voice was no longer needed. What should I do? The answer was not long in coming. Though slavery was abolished, the wrongs of my people were not ended. Though they were not slaves, they were not yet quite free. No man can be truly free whose liberty is dependent upon the thought, feeling, and action of others and who has himself no means in his own hands for guarding, protecting, defending, and maintaining that liberty. Yet the Negro, after his emancipation, was precisely in this state of destitution. The law on the side of freedom is of great advantage only where there is power to make that law respected. The government felt that it had done enough for the former slaves. It had made them free, and henceforth they must make their own way in the world. Yet they had none of the conditions for self-preservation or self-protection. They were free from the individual masters, but the slaves of society. The old master class simply drove them off the plantation and told them they were no longer wanted there, and therefore soon found that the Negro still had a cause and that he needed my voice and pen with others to plead for it. I called upon the government to assist the landless Negroes of the South by colonizing them on lands abandoned by the slaveholders as they had retreated before the advancing Union Army. I urged further that these former slaves be equipped with implements to till the soil and arms to defend themselves. From the first I saw no chance of bettering the condition of the freedman until he should cease to be merely a freedman and should become a citizen. I insisted that there was no safety for him nor for anybody else in America outside the American government, that to guard, protect, and maintain his liberty, the freedman should have the ballot, that the liberties of the American people were dependent upon the ballot box, the jury box, and the cartridge box, that without these, no class of people could live and flourish in this country. And this was now the word for the hour with me, and the word to which the people of the North willingly listened when I spoke. However, regarding as I did, the elective franchise as one of the great powers by which all civil rights are obtained, enjoyed, and maintained under our form of government, and the one without which freedom to any class is delusive if not impossible. I set myself to work with whatever force and energy I possessed to secure this power for the recently emancipated millions
13: on two-thirds a person, great and beatings and suffering and worse, like human packages tied up in strings. Black rage can come from all these kinds of things. Black rage found it on blatant denial We economic subsistence survival Deafening silence and social control Black
3: rage is it on wounds in the soul When the dogs bite, when the bees sting. When I'm feeling sad May remember all these kinds of things And then I